On this episode of China Unscripted, Europe is making a deal with the CCP, but it's straining its alliance with the U.S. What will 2021 have in store? Welcome to China Unscripted. I'm Chris Chappell. I'm Shelley Zhang. And I'm Matt Ganesta. And so this is a great story. In the same year, the Chinese Communist Party caused a global pandemic by covering up the coronavirus. In the same year, the Chinese Communist Party completely violated an international agreement and completely crushed Hong Kong. And in the same year, it's really come out that they're using ethnic slave labor. The EU decided it was time to make an international agreement with the Chinese Communist Party. An investment deal. And a big, big, big investment deal. You forgot to mention that it's also in the same year that the CCP screwed over Australia despite having a supposedly free trade agreement. So there's also that. But again, you know, hindsight is 2020. Well, so the reason Matt brings that up is because China and Australia have a trade deal where, you know, free trade. But China has been putting tariffs and essentially banning imports. It's not not a problem. They they can't put tariffs because it's a free trade. Mm -hmm. So what they did instead of tariffs is they just blocked the imports of Australian coal and timber and worst of all, of course, lobsters. I found out that Australian rock lobsters don't have claws. What do they have? They just Guns? don't have mittens. <laughs> they just don't have big front claws. Really? Yeah, I saw a photo of them and I was like, "Oh, those look different." That I realized. Uh, what the? And you realized lobsters. it wasn't a rock; it was a rock lobster. I'm sorry to our audio person. <laughs> I'm I'm sorry to the audience. We'll right. just cut that. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so very few people will get that reference. Um, that was a reference. Oh, you didn't know about that. I would think that you would know about B-52s, like obscure band from the 70s. Yeah, no, obviously. No, no. That's, that's too obscure for you. Yeah. Who, wow. Who you don't Fortress Macross. B-52s is not an obscure band. I mean, I heard of them, but like they kind of sucked. <laughs> you have now just offended 1% of our audience. Well, anyways. Oh, anyway. But yeah, there's a song called Rock Lobster. Okay. Well, all right. For, all right. No more obscure references. <laughs> So wait, is this a one-way street? Like you just don't want them from me? It's like a China deal. <laughs> okay. Well, so that anyways, sounds great. I'd love that deal, Chris. Well, so anyways, when when I heard about this uh, this deal Europe was making, like my 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 first reaction was, "Have you guys seen Evangelion?" Okay, That's kind you... of an obscure reference, Chris. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I see where this is going. Yeah. Uh... Well, anyways, there's there's this one character, Asuka, who like looks down at the other characters, just like. Here I'll just film it on my phone. We'll we'll add that in. It, this is this is going to be good. This this is this was my reaction to uh, the Australia deal. Pathetic. There we go. But yes, it is it is absolutely pathetic. So what what is in this deal? Well, it's a historic deal. It's because, a historic deal. You know, according to the European Commission, it's the most ambitious agreement that China has ever concluded with a third country, which. It's a little confusing. Who's the second country? Yeah, but the <laughs> and what about like, the the WTO or the U.S. free trade agreement? This, this or is the already Australia? not looking good. No, <laughs> but but go. I on. I think it's possible that it refers to some term that we're just not familiar with. But anyway, according to the European Commission, the you know the, this deal will require the Chinese Communist Party to deliver on obligations for the behavior of state-owned enterprises. 
comprehensive transparency rules for subsidies and commitments related to sustainable development. Oh, so the Chinese Communist Party is promising to be transparent and open. Uh, yes. That's and, always, you know, sustainable. That's always worked. Well, the big win. Well, for, it, it is more sustainable once they get money from Europe. Well, that is the big thing. China really has been hit economically very hard over the past several years with uh, the trade deal. Uh, sorry, the trade war with the U.S., also things like the coronavirus. So uh, this is actually what that, uh, what was his name? Li Dongshen? Di Dongshen. Di Dongshen. Yeah, this right. is, it is exactly what he's talking about. Do you want to explain For our audience, it, who's Di Dongshen and what is he talking about? Okay, so um, you might have seen that clip of this Chinese professor talking about the Biden administration and how Wall Street wasn't able to basically get the Trump administration to do what China wanted them to do, even though Wall Street are old friends of China, basically. And then there's he was saying that, oh, well, when the Biden administration comes in, it'll be different because Biden's son has business deals with China. Everybody laughs, you know, hilarious. Yeah. Uh, but the the full in, the full speech that he did that most people haven't seen, he's mostly talking about how China should decouple with the U.S. Uh, and how it's better economically for China to decouple with the U.S. But then he's pointing out, so if we decouple from the U.S., why are we encouraging them to, you know, invest in China? Why are we encouraging foreign businesses to come in if we want to decouple with them? And he's saying, well, the key is, if as long as we're dependent on the U.S. dollar, as long as we use the U.S. dollar, as long as we are investing in the U.S. stock market, it means the U.S. gets to call the shots. So if we get to get the U.S. and other foreign companies to come in, then we get to call the shots, right? If they're on our turf, if they're using the yuan, if they're in investing in our companies, then we can be the one to, uh, you know, set the rules. And, you know, the U.S. can't sanction us anymore. It won't matter. And this is exactly what this deal was about. So on the surface, it seems like, hey, this is a good deal for Europe. It's going to loosen many of the restrictions on European companies in China. Uh, including the requirement that they operate through joint ventures with Chinese partners and share sensitive technologies. We'll see whether or not that actually happens. But uh, yeah, it's supposed to it's supposed to guarantee that there's no more forced trans uh, technology transfer. That's right. Well, what's interesting about that is like for Europe, they're like, oh, great. No longer do we have to do joint ventures. No longer do we have to like forcibly share our technology. But that should have never been a thing that they agreed to in the first place. Right. It's like basically the CCP is, is saying all these things that we forced you to do that we really had no right to do under the WTO rules. Uh, we're going to now back off from that. Aren't we so generous? Exactly. And like, that's enough. You know what I mean? But like and also it, I'm unclear from the way it's written so far because the whole thing is not completely written out. But it seems like it may only apply. Certain things may only apply to state owned enterprises. There are some specific things that apply to state owned enterprises, but I think Forced technology transfer rules, limiting that, and the joint venture applied to all companies. There is also, Chris, to your point, a specific part about financial services industries, you know, Wall Street or the, you know, city of like the European equivalent um, of these, you know, big investment firms that they'll be allowed to, uh, you know, come in without having to do joint venture requirements uh, for banking or securities trading or insurance or asset man management, all of these things that the these financial companies had wanted for many years to be able to come in and, you know, 
you get into the China market. Um, and so, you know, there there's a commitment in this to keep opening that market to EU investors. Right. Well, I think the timing of this deal is very interesting for a number of reasons. Uh, they've been trying to negotiate for seven years. Uh, basically stalled up until very recently. Uh, European officials are saying that the breakthrough came in December when China said they would agree to uh, stronger commitments to observe standards on forced labor and climate change. They didn't really agree to observe stronger commitments, though. Yeah, well, the, specifically, it was China has agreed to, quote, make continued and sustained efforts, uh, end quote, to, rat to ratify international conventions on banning forced labor. And this is that—that that is not a promise to do it. It's not a. Uh, there are no consequences if they don't. There are no inspections. This this is a deal where Europe has very knowingly sold out human rights, any kind of uh, international transparency, just for the sake of essentially Europe's financial de deep state. Well, I mean, they promised to make sustained efforts, continued continued efforts. But also significant about the timing, uh, we were talking about this earlier, is this was something pushed forward by Angela Merkel, uh, primarily for the benefit of German car makers. But there's there's going to be a bit of a shakeup in the EU power structure, correct? Yeah. Well, well, the presidency of the Council of the European Union changes like to a new country every six months. So for Germany, it was July through December 2020. And so now that it's January 2021, it's a new country. Right. And so Germany wanted to push it through by the end of December, which they, I mean, they did like by it, I mean, like the initial agreement for it. Right. It still needs so, to be ratified. Right. But Angela Merkel wants credit. And also, you know, she supposedly is going to leave her post by the end of 2021. She's been German chancellor since what, 2005 or something mm -hmm. like a really, really long time. And in that and, time, very pro-China, opened right. up Germany to a lot of Chinese investment. Right. So so she says she's going to not run for another term after the elections in, in Germany this year, uh, which may or may not be true because, you know, sometimes politicians don't tell the whole truth. But let's assume that's true. She wants to push through something. Like I read something about how she wants this to be one of her legacies, like securing a China deal. Oh, it will be part of her legacy. Yes. Oh, well, so just to, just to go back to it, like the ratification part of this uh, agreement will basically take a little over a year, uh, by which point uh, the presidency will have passed to next is Portugal, and then it goes to France. Then it goes to Slovenia, and then France ah. will be j January through the end of June 2022. Which is when this would be ratified. I maybe. Well, maybe. Yeah, it maybe. depends on how things go. But then interesting, after that, it goes to the Czech Republic or Czechia. I don't know which one they it's, use. It's, let's just call it the Czech Republic. The Czech Republic. Thank you. And uh, they have a very different kind of stance towards China than not, a lot of the- Not all of the Czech Republic. I think Prague. actually the, the president of the Czech Republic is pretty pro-China. Mm. But the mayor of Prague is- Very pro-Taiwan. Very awesome. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Um, but one more thing about the timing of all this is that it happens before a, a Biden administration would begin. And actually, apparently, the Biden administration tried to encourage Europe not to sign it, that they wanted to wait until after Biden assumed power. Right, because Biden has been talking about working with our European allies to counter China. I kind of feel like our European allies just poked us in the eye. Oh, that's a good point. Was that a, I didn't get the reference. Oh, Biden was like, oh, the problem with Trump is he's uh, gone poking in everyone's eye. 
Okay, you got to work on the Biden impression, I think. Oh, Come gosh. on, man. Come on, man. Let's, let's just play the clip. Oh, that's oh, a good idea. Yeah, we can do that. No, no, here's the deal. The question is, what is the appropriate behavior that they have to engage in international, in international trade with us? And they have to play by the international rules. And what we have done is we have disarmed ourselves. We make up 25% of the world's economy, but we poked our finger in the eye of all of our allies out there. Wow. All right. Uh, that was exactly like uh, my uh, performance of it, I think. Uh, okay. Very, <laughs> very, very accurate. So, uh, you know, that it is like the European Union kind of poked the U.S. in the eye. Well, yeah, like if like Biden's point has been that uh, he is going to work with European allies to uh, counter the Chinese Communist Party. Look at what our European allies are doing. Not specifically very interested in con countering the Chinese Communist Party. Doesn't seem that way. With allies like that, who needs enemies? Amen. Well, I think that it is it, it is a good point, Matt, because I think that for four years, essentially, Trump has, I don't think Trump meant to do this, but because mm -hmm. he's such a, uh, you know, controversial figure and he kind of sucks all the air out of a room or like the media love covering him, love slash hate covering him. Mm -hmm. So it's always, everything is framed in terms of like what Trump is doing or reactions to Trump or whatever. So, you know, seeing that the EU did this, even though it's not going to be Trump, uh, that it's clear that their behavior was not necessarily because they just dislike Trump and that's why they were siding with China. Yeah. And I, I've seen some reactions from people being like, okay, I don't like Trump, but Europe's actions actually make it look like he has a good point about what Europe wants to do and the EU wants to do. Mm -hmm. Right. And I, and I think one of the, the points, regardless of who's in the, the US White House, it's like we- Matt still thinks Kanye is going to win. I, I do. I just need, need yeah. to get that out there. You never know what's going to happen. You never. Hey, it's not January sixth yet, as of recording. Um, yes. So basically, like, there's this idea that that is often happens in political circles, especially as as things get more entrenched and time passes, is that that alliances are important for the sake of alliances. Mm. And it's like, well, the goal should be to have strong alliances. I would argue that that's not a good goal. The goal is to like whatever whatever the, the goals of your country are, right? To protect, you know, protect jobs, protect your economy, protect national security and so on. Like those are the goals and and we want, you know, our allies to also be able to achieve their goals on their end, right? Like good conditions for for their people and and their freedoms and so on, right? So like the goal should be to preserve the things that we want to preserve. And if strong alliances with certain countries help facilitate that, then the alliances are not a goal, but they are certainly a good means to achieve that goal. Uh, whereas if alliances are no longer uh, helping you achieve your goal, then those alliances are bad. And this is why we've seen, like one of the things about the, the, the way Donald Trump has operated is that he's simply like, he doesn't care about alliances uh, per se, he cares about the results of those alliances. Uh, and whether they help achieve his policy goals, you know, America first and so on. And so what's happened is you see, you know, moving away from European alliances, moving towards Asia alliances, and not because 
Trump prefers to work with Asians slash Australia. It's just that like, it seems that the the Trump administration had seen uh, those alliances as better to help the U.S. achieve its policy goals. That's a really good point. I mean, it is it's like a abusive relationship. You don't maintain the relationship because you want to maintain the relationship. You recognize that it's dysfunctional and then you end it and then you move into something better. Well, I think that, you know, the whole multilateralism becomes its own end goal. Mm -hmm. And that's something that the Chinese Communist Party has actually taken advantage of in terms of its propaganda apparatus. Mm. And it, how it works with other countries or how it talks to other countries. Because Xi Jinping has been great at using that type of language mm-hmm. uh, to make it sound like, you know, China is interested in peaceful development. Uh, we're interested in win-win. Mutual cooperation. Right. And yeah. like the point is the cooperation. Right. right. But cooperation isn't good or bad itself. It depends on what the terms of the cooperation are. So if you are cooperating but it's on the CCP's terms, that's probably not good. Well, that's that's the thing. Like, we have seen how the Chinese Communist Party operates over decades of actual, like, lived practice. Like, we saw how they have violated- Our lived experience. Our lived experience, whatever. I'm on a roll, Shelley. Don't interrupt. It's once the roll, once the rock starts rolling, get out of the way. I'm, I'm working on my Biden, folks. Okay. Come I did on, not man. get that. I did not realize that. I, I I was not ready for this uh, but transition. Sometimes the rock is rolling and then it hits a corn pop. I we think the rock is of off the rails right now. <laughs> and I had a point, and the point was that, like, look at the WTO when China joined the World Trade Organization. They have violated every single rule in the World Trade Organization since it began. As, as I mentioned at the start of the episode, they threw out the agreement it made with the UK over Hong Kong. That international agreement meant nothing to them. As you mentioned, the uh, the trade, the free trade deal with Australia, that we've seen how this plays out and how it will play out is the strengthening of the Chinese Communist Party. Uh, it will continue to persecute its own people and it will just make Europe vulnerable to the Chinese Communist Party, which is still hostile. I do have to say that in terms of the WTO, it's not that the Chinese Communist Party has broken every rule because they love to enforce the rules when it comes to other countries. Uh-huh. So it's kind of, it becomes a whole thing where it's like rules for thee, but not for me. So yeah. the, Well, they, they definitely criticize the Trump's trade war using the WTO structure. Right. Or, you know, when the Obama administration was bringing uh, cases in the WTO towards uh, China for dumping different, you know, I think tires was one of the things and whatever. Of course, those were very unjust, but mm-hmm. the... Uh, on the Chinese Communist Party side, they brought a lot of uh, WTO, you know, uh, rule, uh, you know, they brought cases against the U.S. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it's it's fine when you want to use it, but when other people use it against you, then it's not it's good. A, it's yeah. horrible. Same that. Well, again, the same thing is happening in Australia. Australia saying, "Hey, what you're doing is violating the WTO rules," and they don't care. I, I think also the whole thing about how they're agreeing to these forced labor. Or that they are going to work towards, you Yeah, know, that there was this big breakthrough in forced labor and uh, climate change. Well, one thing that you brought up, Chris, was that, you know, they're not admitting that there is forced labor. Yeah, just recently, uh, the foreign uh, one of the foreign ministry spokespersons said that, that, that it's, it's a complete lie that there is forced labor in Xinjiang. So they could totally agree to continue to work on 
implementing some kind of, you know, treaty to stop forced labor. But that's not a problem when there's no forced labor. Right. I mean, a lot of these Uyghurs are just, you know, they've chosen to live in shared housing and get vocational training with free internships. That That is actually what they're saying. This is not like a... Yeah, well, a, no, I'm serious. Yeah, it's not a bad joke. This is, well, it is a bad joke, but by the Chinese Communist Party. So the the whole thing is that, you know, they're, it's poverty alleviation. People are just giving the opportunity to go work in factories to, you know. Yeah. And they're so grateful for it. Speaking of, how do you like those Apple products right in front of you? Well, I mean, if it wasn't Apple, it would be Hewlett Packard or it would be any other company. I think Apple definitely does not have clean hands, but it's not worse necessarily than pretty much any computer that you would buy. Yeah, it has come out recently that, uh, well, uh, many Apple suppliers have been accused of using forced Uyghur slave labor. Uh, and recently one called Lens, I forget what it's called, Lens Manufacturer. Blah, blah, blah. Anyways, it's a company uh, that designs the the glass for iPhones and it's owned by uh, China's richest woman and she's been using Uyghur slave labor to make the stuff. Well, that company doesn't just design the glass for Apple iPhones. So I think that's the thing that, you know, when we were looking at this, uh, when the Australian Strategic Policy Institute did this whole study on Uyghur slave labor being used in China, they found that a lot of these, you know, manufacturers, they're getting uh, Uyghur slave labor, but they're not just using it for Apple products or, you know, they also... Like the front-facing iPhones on some iPhone models, the the, the selfie front, camera, the selfie camera is used by is made by a company that um, has taken Uyghur uh, forced labor, but that company also makes stuff for Samsung phones, and yeah. you know, so it's very hard to get out of the supply chain. Uh, Once you, know? you choose to do deals with the Chinese Communist Party, you you get your hands dirty. Yeah, right. and I think like. It applies to everything. Like I've been trying specifically to not buy things from China. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh, well, you know, it was encouraging to me that some clothing manufacturers were moving to Vietnam or different places, India, so I could, you know, see that it was made in India or Vietnam. But I realized that there was an item of clothing that I bought that was made in Vietnam, but I realized that the fabric was made in China. And you can't tell because it tells you where the clothing is made, but not where the, the components are made. Right. Yeah. And I think one of the challenges with supply chains is now we have a very complicated supply chains. So the company that you buy a product from has, let's say, like 10 different suppliers, but each of those 10 suppliers has 10 suppliers for its thing. And each of them might have 10 for its thing. And actually, it might not be 10. It might be 100. Or, you know, Apple probably has over 1,000 suppliers for different things. Eventually, like, you're talking about hundreds of thousands, potentially, of companies involved in the creation of, like, say, this MacBook Pro, right? I mean, like, like just, like, even the screws, like, who makes the screws that they... Like, There's it, issues with the gold in uh, slave labor in Africa. Right. And so, and so it's so complicated. And... The only way to ensure that you don't have anything made in China as part of the supply chain is that the U.S. has to cut off all, all trade with China. The EU has to cut off all trade with China. The Southeast Asian countries that we buy from have to cut off trade with China. And so like the reason we don't have made in North Korea stuff in our supply chain is because every country has cut them off, right? Except Russia and China. Yeah, okay, so maybe there's a few things, right? But we don't really know. And, and it, I don't think North Korea, because if it's small population and small manufacturing base is a big part of any supply chain. But essentially, 
it's very, very difficult to get China out of the supply chain. Even if you try, and even when you buy things that are made in America, some components of it yeah, you guys, be. you guys got me Monopoly socialism oh, right. for Christmas, and it was yes. like made in America, tokens and dice made in China. Oh yeah, I was looking at this thing that was like a scrubbing, like a pot scrubber that was made out of a uh, chain mail. Mm-hmm. Essentially, it was stainless steel rings, and in their whole thing where they're like, where's this made? They're like, it's made in the U.S. Like our factories are in the U.S. However, the only place that we can get this particular kind of stainless steel is in China. So we have to get the steel from China. Jeez. Right. And and I mean, like 20 years ago, they probably would have been able to get it in the US, assuming that technology existed. But like our steel manufacturing has been hollowed out and it's largely been produced in China yeah. through steel dumping and, and, and subsidies from the Chinese government to well, states, this is, this steel is manufacturers. The coronavirus should have been a, a warning to the world of like, oh, we need to make our own stuff. The United States needs to be making more of its own stuff. I do think that it was somewhat of a warning, like a, like a wake up call. Mm-hmm. Uh, we saw this a lot with the PPE, like the protective equipment, mm-hmm. because, you know, there was literally one company in the U.S. that was making surgical masks. Only one. And now I think there are at least two, two or three um, that I've personally seen that are making made in the U.S. surgical masks. But, you know, the thing with like, oh, well, sometimes they couldn't even get the machines to make these masks because the machines had all been sold to China. And this is part of how when you make these deals with the Chinese Communist Party, your country sacrifices its national security in a way that maybe isn't readily apparent to the, uh, the public. Uh, though I will say it is it is encouraging that there is a lot of uh, public resentment to this uh, agreement in Europe. People don't seem very happy with it. And so there is a question of whether or not it will actually be ratified. I think there's also some unhappiness from the smaller European countries who felt that Germany kind of just pushed this through. It was definitely Merkel. Like, this is good for our uh, China-vested German industry. Yeah, I hadn't realized. We did a episode of, like a couple months ago about that talked about Germany and China, and I hadn't quite realized how deeply companies like Volkswagen or like their car manufacturers were in China, that they had gone into China, you know, in the late 70s, early 80s, like as the first Western companies to go into China. Mm-hmm. Uh, so yeah, it was really fascinating to learn all that stuff. So let's work with our European allies to counter China. Right. But Germany is also so dominant in Europe. Not It's got, you know, giant population. It's got the biggest economy. It's got just this sort of like uh, this power over, you know, the the banking and manufacturing and like all these things. And so what Germany does kind of ends up forcing the rest of the European Union to kind of go down that same route. And like, it's one thing for a country like Slovenia to be like, well, we don't want to participate, uh, but it's but it's much harder for them to actually oppose anything. And so essentially Germany gets its way and that's been the case for a long time. And like, you would think Germany would be like, you know, looking at history, we can see why it's not a good idea to work with brutal authoritarian regimes. And yet they've gone this route working with the CCP. And so it's it's really quite tragic, especially for Germany to be the one doing that. Well, I also think it's, it's interesting in this agreement, uh, sort of what happened to Italy how Italy kind of got sidestepped. Oh, they were upset because they didn't, there was some kind of like virtual meeting, signing thing involving Xi Jinping and 
Merkel and Macron are there, and but like Italy wasn't invited to be on the call. Even though when Italy joined the Belt and Road uh, last year, wait, this is 2021 now. It's 2021. So two years ago. Um, yeah, I was like, oh, Italy is China's best friend in Europe. No. Well, no. I mean, there have been a lot of countries that have been China's best friend in Europe. That's true. Currently, Italy is being blamed for starting the coronavirus by the Chinese Communist Party. Uh Partially, it's one of, it's, one of they many have countries. they have several kind of feelers out, and like we'll see which one pans yeah. out. You know, but it's also like it it shows how the Chinese Communist Party does things. Italy was a big uh, foothold into Europe. Now that it's been used, eh, whatever, we don't need you anymore. <laughs> the point is, twenty twenty one is looking like there's still going to be lots of stuff for us to cover on uh, China Unscripted and China Uncensored. I do have to go back to a point about this deal mm-hmm. that I forget it was you or Matt who were talking about. Oh. I think it was you, Matt, about like the country uh, losing their national security. That was you, right? Uh, I would take credit for that. Uh, but um, there's an interesting tweet from the uh, vice president of Taiwan, William Lai, uh, Lai Jingde, who was saying that with signing a trade deal with China, you have to be careful because you only see what you can get. You don't see what you could lose. Mm. And what you could lose is you know something that's even... Uh, deeper than slave labor or, or Uyghurs, uh, you know, Uyghur labor rights or whatever. It's something that goes to the heart of democracy. And that's something that Taiwan had learned. Wow. So basically getting your trade deal with China is like getting your wish from the monkey's paw. I think that's what he's saying, that it's basically this idea that, you know, you don't really know what the price you're going to pay for it is. Yeah. It's definitely a case where like, Europe's uh, financial deep state will make a lot of money at the expense of everyone else. Well, I think it's not just it's not just the finance uh, sector. The uh, the the elite, then mm-hmm. the deep state elite. This is where this is where we've come to. Well, I mean, you know, you say deep state, but I think like what that actually is is we're talking about you know people in Europe's financial industry. Uh, manufacturing leaders like Volkswagen and and some of these other companies and it's like in Germany as in as in most countries the the corporate leaders end up having a pretty large influence on politics mm-hmm. and so this is what you're referring to as the deep state yeah forces right? that are not elected by the people but still have a incredible amount of say in what happens politically in a country yeah and i and i think that is you know it's always a risk in any country whether it's a liberal democracy or not, you you end up having these interests play an outsized role in politics uh, more than is necessary for them to continue sustained business operations. They want to have even more influence to get more, you know, it's, it's more no game. longer capitalism, it's corporatism. Yeah. So I think I think that's a big risk. And I think that's that is what you see at play in Europe now. And it's also what we've seen in the US for a long time. And and one of the things that's changed over the last few years is that Washington and Wall Street have kind of uh, butted heads quite a bit uh, with maybe sec- uh, Treasury Secretary Mnuchin in the middle trying to like balance out these interests. Former Goldman Sachs, which is another example of how this all works when you have you know top investing financial firms becoming high-ranking politicians after yeah. they retire. I-, I remember when like a reporter had asked Trump in 2020, something about like, won't your new policy hurt companies like Apple? And Trump is just like, whatever. <laughs> uh-huh. And I was like, 
It's it's funny because of course like that's a super undiplomatic thing to say, but also like the sentiment there is that the White House is willing to reject corporate interests. And actually there's quite a bit contained in that whatever. Even there have been Trump supporters that are Wall Street types who have interest in China too, that have been trying to uh, influence the trade deal and different things. So I think it's not necessarily, uh, I think it's pr a pretty bipartisan problem. Well, it's definitely, uh, you know, there have been Wall Street types who are pro-Trump, but it's it's uh, it's an issue where uh, Republicans and Democrats have both uh, been infiltrated and subverted. Uh, and also both sides have actually done a lot of good things. So it's kind of a, a bipartisan success and failure. Yeah, there have been some actually great bipartisan successes in 2020. In June, uh, Congress passed the Uyghur Human Rights Policy Act. Uh, and then in December, uh, as part of that big, you know, $2.3 trillion omnibus bill, the included was the Taiwan Assurance Act of 2020 and the uh, Tibetan Policy and Support Act. So all three of these were like pretty significant uh, pieces of legislation that are now law that are, you know, the U.S. standing up in a bipartisan way to the Chinese Communist Party. The, and the great thing is that especially the Uyghur Human Rights Policy Act, the Trump administration used it this summer to uh, sanction uh, Ch Chinese officials. For... Same with the Hong Kong. Right. Yeah. And, and I, I think that's kind of the when we look at, you know, should we have a law or, or policy or whatever, it's that you've got really at least two pieces of it. So one is the law itself has to be passed because that provides the tools. But the, you know, the tools don't do any good if they're sitting in a drawer. It's the White House that has to actually use those tools to do the thing that they're designed to do. So in this case, sanctioning specific officials. So the White House is going to put together, or it has this, uh, in 2020, put together a list of people to sanction, right? And so, you know, hopefully this year, we'll also see the White House using these tools from the, you know, Taiwan Assurance Act and the Tibet Policy and Support Act to actually take the action that the legislation paves the way for, but does not obligate. Yeah, yeah. What, what you're saying is there's a big range in how uh, the president can actually enforce these bills. Like with the Hong Kong thing, uh, they could have, uh, Trump could have sanctioned some like no name official that had no impact. They didn't have to sanction anybody actually. Yeah, like, it was like a year, right? Yeah, they had a year to determine whether anybody was sanctionable under the law. And then they had to just, you know, report. Some of it is in the law, like you have to send a report to Congress about certain things, but like whether or not uh, the sanctions are implemented is up to the executive branch. Mm -hmm. yeah. So that's what Matt's saying. It's like Congress provided the tools, but then it was up to the White House to choose how to use that. And fortunately, they were chosen to be uh, very effective at targeting the Chinese Communist Party, right. sanctioned Carrie Lam. And, and so also what this means is, you know, from a viewer perspective, if you're you know, an American watching this, like you got to keep in mind that you need to tell the White House or tell, you know, uh, who, whichever White House administration official has these tools, like now you got to use them. And, you know, as media, you, you got to increase the pressure uh, on them to use this, these tools. And so like we as Americans have to make an effort to get the tools to actually be used. And I think that uh, with some hard work and, and continued pressure, we can actually achieve that. I think the ironic thing is this 
bipartisan uh, consensus in the U.S. about how to treat the Chinese Communist Party is now actually putting us at odds with our European allies who have a very different take on China relations, as we can see in this bill. And what it makes me really wonder about is what do they plan to do with Huawei, especially Germany, Germany, Merkel and Huawei. Oh, yeah, because the this was a big thing that the U.S. did in the last two years is they essentially led uh, the rest of the world to start rejecting Huawei, something that looked almost impossible several years ago, that like Huawei was just going to continue its march of domination uh, by providing, you know, all these uh, low priced uh, telecom equipment to everywhere around the world. And how could you say no if it was, you know, just cheaper to use Huawei? And then the U.S. kind of stepping forward and um, doing these things and like uh, the whole clean networks initiative that really made a huge difference in getting other countries to step up and say, you know, we're going to join the U.S. initiative, uh, you know, which essentially would ban Huawei and ZTE and other Chinese companies. Actually, that, that's a great piece of leadership is the clean networks, right? That's a that's a, a great way that we've gotten a lot of countries about a quarter of the countries and many of the of the most economically dominant ones are all on this clean networks. Thing Contrary now. to the message of the U.S. has withdrawn from global leadership. This is a good example of the U.S. showing really strong global leadership. I think so. Yeah, I think I think that's done really well. And, and, and it's also something that's going to continue, I believe, even even with a different administration. Kanye. He means Kanye. I mean, Kanye. Yeah. <laughs> well. So since it's uh, it's uh, um, if we have no more to talk about this Europe deal, maybe since it's now the first podcast of 2021, any any visions, any resolutions? Personally, or like things we're looking out for China? Anything. Like, it, it we are in fact recording this on January 1st. By the way, this yeah. is how we're spending Happy our New, new Year. <laughs> Happy New Year. Uh, maybe maybe one of my resolutions is to take a vacation. <laughs> at some point do you think we might be do, able to do that at any point no, soon? no no one of my resolutions was like be okay with doing nothing uh, this year yeah okay like as in if you can't go anywhere you can't do anything yeah just just to be able to like sit and do nothing for like a short period of at least a short oh, period of time oh i thought you meant just let alone a vacation okay i thought you meant because you remember last year we were or 2019 we were traveling all the time and like doing all these things that i thought you meant just be okay if we go into lockdown number four or whatever. No, 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 uh, no, okay. no. I mean, like, can can I sit? Don't always reach for the phone. Don't always do some research. Just you know, take a moment, like, sit with my thoughts. Look at a tree. Uh, and you know, suddenly realize the the yawning abyss inside you, and then quickly. My phone? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Actually, that's a pretty good one. And for me. In 2019 and in the early part of 2020, I was looking at Twitter so much. Yeah. And I was tweeting so much. I mean, we had to use it in Hong Kong, I think. Mm -hmm. And I was glad because, you know, we're kind of getting information connected. out and uh, connected us to a lot of people. But uh, yeah, I think just after I literally started losing my hair uh, in like May, June, just around the time that the, the national security law was being implemented in Hong Kong, and I was literally waking up at three or four in the morning because I couldn't sleep and then looking at Twitter to see all of the terrible things that were happening in Hong Kong. And then I was just like, I have to stop doing this. I'm literally losing my hair. I have to stop doing this. So I've really cut back 
on Twitter usage in the last few months. And I think I'm a happier person. <laughs> How about you, Matt? Um, I'm going to make continued and sustained efforts to stop making bad jokes. <laughs> oh, <laughs> oh, there's a lot to that. That, And I think that is a great way to end uh, the first podcast of 2020. One? 2021 force of habit uh actually nothing's gonna change it's it's all it's all gonna be the same <laughs> I, I do feel like everybody was feeling like 2021 yes like in a way that when 2019 turned into 2020 no one was like oh finally 2020 yeah right? it's like you finished your final exam and then you still have like that last week of school and it's like that right. nothing matters well i mean 2020 like the real 2020 didn't start till i would argue like late january well I mean, a lot of stuff happened. Remember the Soleimani thing, the, the, the Taiwan election. Because well, so, we began our that would be yeah. We began our 2020 by traveling to Taiwan to cover the elections, and like there was, like as far as we were concerned, there was no such thing as a coronavirus. No, the we, Taiwan government was like aware of this thing, and they were monitoring people. But like we knew about it. I remember when we left Taiwan, which was January 15th being a little sketched out about going through the airport because I was like, oh man, you know, this is SARS. Like, this is how SARS happened that like people were traveling and then, it, you mm -hmm. know. Well, my point was that that I was oblivious. <laughs> okay. <laughs> no, because I definitely remember because the, it started, the report started coming out in early January. And Taiwan was more. Can, can, I, can I just make, the, the point was that like, for most of that first couple of weeks of January, the coronavirus wasn't really a thing. Right. Yeah. And it certainly wasn't part of the international attention. And I would say it didn't really become internationally known until January 22nd when we published our first episode about it on China Uncensored. Yeah. OK. We led the way. Uh, and so we've, we've got a couple of weeks left maybe of 2020 and then we'll go into 2021, which... That, we'll... that doesn't make any sense, though. Just because... No, I, I agree. That makes no sense. Just because the coronavirus didn't start being publicly noticed until that doesn't mean that 2021 doesn't start until mid-January. Yeah. I, I got to say, though, uh, what's happening with the U.S. election on January 6th, that's got a lot of 2020 energy to it. And if you don't know what I'm talking about, you should be watching America Uncovered. Ah, uh, well, good. So now we've promoted China Uncensored and America Uncovered, which on, is good. On our channel that has the least number of subs or views. Yeah. Does anyone here watching this not know about those other shows i would find it very weird that somebody would watch china unscripted but not china uncensored yeah that'd be surprising yeah but 2021 maybe is full of surprise oh maybe it's somebody who just listens to podcasts and doesn't use youtube that's possible that's true we are on stitcher itunes spotify and our website chinaunscripted.com is that the website url I thought it was not yes. like .tv or something. I just said the web. That's, no, that's the website. We're, yes. oh, we're okay. good at this, guys. Uh, once again, <laughs> we are filming on January 1st in the morning. Great idea. <laughs> it wasn't my idea. It was my idea. You're welcome. You know, got to start the new year off right by that's, talking that's right. about, uh, you know. All the great things to look forward to. Europe-China trade deal. You yeah. know, I do think that there are a lot of things to look out for. I, and look it, out for or look forward to? Look out for. <laughs> Damn it. <laughs> Sorry. I think that, what is the thing? Be vigilant. Now, now I'm constant Prepare vigilance. Prepare for the worst, but 
hope for the best. Well, yeah, I think that uh, it can be really pretty exhausting to pay attention to this because uh, it can be demoralizing sometimes. But I think we're the ones that have to, if nobody pays attention to it, then, you know, it'll just happen. Like all of these, like, you know, but if there's pushback, then there's a, it's just like with the U.S. Clean Networks thing, right? Mm-hmm. If if the U.S. Had, government had done nothing, then Huawei continues its march across the world. Um, but you, if you if you realize what's happening and then you take steps to counter that, like it's important. That's a good that's a good point because there is a specific type of propaganda called agitation propaganda that's specifically designed to exhaust people with just all of the all of the agitation. And so like the middle drops out and then you just have the extremes that fight. And then things get led that way. So yeah, it is it is important that the middle does not get exhausted by all the fighting and actually still make sure good things happen. I Without do... context, I think you were describing Twitter. Well, <laughs> Well, what does that say about Twitter? Agitation propaganda. <laughs> I do think it's interesting because I have felt the I have felt the temptation to just drop out. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, we can't totally drop out, but I have felt like a longing to just like buy a farm in the country. <laughs> not not buy the farm, but like just a farm, a farm, and just like go down to the country. Yeah, you know, do the whole Chinese scholar thing where. You just go into the mountains and, uh-huh. and write poetry about all of the people in the capital who you hate. Mm. <laughs> it was an ancient Chinese version of Twitter. <laughs> well, I mean, there were good things that they did, too, where they were like, oh, you know, it's time to disengage from, like, the corruption and, you know, try to mm. find a different way of living or whatever. But uh, Decouple from the corruption, start clean living. It's good. Go on. Okay. He, uh, what was, I'm going to make continued in to stand efforts, it. but it's not enforceable. I don't, I didn't even understand if that was a joke. You know, because decoupling from the Chinese economy and doing clean networks. Yeah, the, the clean the, the, clean part was real. It was supposed to be a joke. Got it. But again, you cannot enforce my continued and sustained efforts. The to problem stop this. is with this, the inspections happen. <laughs> yes. For a low, wide audience. Yes, but but your, the Europe-China deal does not require inspections. That's true. Yeah, okay. Anyway. Well, okay, my point was that I have felt the temptation to just kind of check out, but if we all do that, then terrible things happen. Are you saying we're stronger together? Yes, that is what I'm saying. That's a nice message. That's a good message to end this podcast on. So thank you for watching China Unscripted. I'm Chris Chappell. I'm Shelley Chung. And I'm Matt Ganesta. And we'll see you next time.